1: With so many mothers having latching challenges and ending breastfeeding much sooner than initially intended, maybe we as mothers and breastfeeding educators are missing something that our babies are trying to tell us. How would we have survived as a species for this long if our ancestors had as many breastfeeding challenges as we are faced with today? And what are our babies trying to tell us? I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to introduce you to Suzanne Colson, a midwife, nurse, and co-founder of The Nurturing Project from Kent, England. Today, we are discussing biological nurturing and breastfeeding. This is The Boob Group, episode 36. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. At The Boob Group, we're your online support group for all things related to breastfeeding. Did you know we have a Boob Group Club? All Boob Group Club members will get access to all of our archived episodes, plus bonus interviews, transcripts, and special discounts and giveaways from our partners. Plus, you can interact with all of this great content through the web or through our free Boob Group app, available in the Apple and Amazon Marketplace. Today I'm joined by three lovely panelists. Um, we'll start with you, Noreen, since you're, uh, you're, you've been here quite a bit. We just love having you.
3: Um, will you please introduce yourself? Thank you, Robin. I am Noreen Ibarra. I'm a stay-at-home mom to Rex Edward, who is 20 months today.
1: Fantastic.
3: I'm
4: Christine Schubert, and I work with Robin. I'm an RN. I have a master's in public health, and I'm an international board certified lactation consultant. I have three children. The youngest is five months old, Molly. Then I have a son, Isaac, who's four, and a daughter, six, Eden. My name is Laura De La Torre, and I'm a new mother to Theodore
1: William, and he's three months old. Well, ladies, thank you for coming, and welcome to the show.
0: Sounds familiar. Before we start our show,
1: here's Jonna Rose Feinberg offering tips for breastfeeding multiple babies. Hi, Boob Group. This is Jonna Rose Feinberg, editor of breastfeedingtwins.org.
5: I'm a mom of twins and a board-certified lactation consultant in the Seattle area. Today, we are going to talk about managing breastfeeding without a helper or a second set of hands. In the early days, we hope you have some extra help around the house, your partner, mom, or postpartum doula can help position babies for breastfeeding, and can help with burping, rocking, and of course diaper changes. But chances are at some point, you'll need to manage both babies by yourself. Here are some tips. Make yourself a nursing nest. Bring together everything you might need for a long stretch of sitting with nursing babies. Have snacks, water, your phone, the TV remote, and anything else you might need nearby. Make your nursing nest comfortable. This may mean taking a residence on the couch, in bed, or even on the floor with lots of pillows for support. Pick place where you will be comfortable and will have plenty of room to spread out. Create safe spaces to rest babies while you are getting settled for breastfeeding. When they are younger and not yet rolling, placing them in the middle of the bed or in the back corner of the couch briefly may be sufficient. As they get older, you may want to use infant lounger pillows or bouncy chairs to hold the babies as you get settled with your breastfeeding pillow, and again when you're finished. Both help keep the babies a bit upright after feeding, which may be helpful for some babies with gas or reflux. If possible, make the transition gradual. This may mean your partner starts out back to work part-time for a few days before going back to a regular schedule, or that your mom comes by in the afternoons to lend a hand for a while. It's helpful to know you have backup coming when you feel overwhelmed. Once you've managed alone for a little while, you'll have the confidence to handle larger stretches. For more tips and personal breastfeeding stories, please visit breastfeedingtwins.org. And keep listening to the Boob Group for more Twin Tips.
1: Today on the Boob Group, we're discussing biological nurturing and breastfeeding. Our expert, Suzanne Colson, is a midwife, nurse, and co founder of the Nurturing Project, an organization disseminating biological nurturing information. Thanks so much for joining us, Suzanne, and welcome to the show.
7: Thank you very much. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you this evening.
1: Exactly. I and mean, we're calling Suzanne. She's in Paris. So, um, Suzanne, I just have to tell you, when I first saw you speaking about biological nurturing about a year and a half ago at ILCA, um, it absolutely changed the way that I provided help to moms who are breastfeeding because it just, it totally resonated with me and it just made so much sense like I can't believe we've been missing this and so um, I can't I'm just so excited to have you on the show um, would you please explain to um, our panelists as well as our listeners what exactly is biological nurturing
7: well biological nurturing is a collective term for positions states and behaviors and importantly uh, biological nurturing or BN as I often call it is a non-prescriptive approach to breastfeeding that brings to light mother knowledge and gives research evidence and explanations for some things mothers have always known. The aim is to increase mother's enjoyment of breastfeeding and BN can be used straight after birth or as a rescue strategy when things are not going right. It's as easy to do as leaning comfortably back and laying your baby on top of your body so that every part of the front of the baby faces, and closely touches yours. And when I say every part of the front of the baby, I I mean uh, to include the baby's thighs and calves and feet tops and even the soles of the baby's feet.
1: And how is this different from skin-to-skin that we hear so much about as well as laid-back breastfeeding?
7: Well, uh, that's a really good question because um, a lot of people are confused about the difference between biological and skin-to-skin contact. Now, sometimes skin-to-skin contact is biological nurturing, and sometimes it isn't. And the main difference is in the number of active components, or what some people would call ingredients of the two approaches. Now, biological nurturing has six active ingredients. It's about mother-baby position, so there's two ingredients. The mother lies back and the baby lies on top. But it's also about behavioral states the baby's behavioral states or level of arousal, and the baby reflexes. So that's two more ingredients. And biological nurturing also includes inborn mothering and breastfeeding behaviors as well as the maternal hormonal state, what I like to call an oxytocic maternal complexion. Now, when we're talking about skin-to-skin contact, as it's officially defined, it's primarily about state of dress. And as such, there are two active ingredients. First and foremost, mother and baby are naked or almost naked. Mothers are naked from the waist up, and babies can be um, wearing a nappy. But importantly, there has to be direct ventral or tummy-to-tummy skin-to-skin contact between the mother and the baby. Now, that skin-to-skin contact definition means that the mother can be in any position and she's often pictured lying flat on her back, lying on the side, or sitting upright. In other words, in those positions described as the correct breastfeeding positions prior to the publication of my research. Now, none of those positions is a biological nurturing position. In biological nurturing, there's always a degree of maternal body slope, and this is not vertical, but it's a gentle kind of maternal body slope, that supports the baby in what I call a physiological baby body tilt. Now, there are strong arguments to suggest that a degree of baby body tilt is especially important for the baby's well-being. For example, to protect the baby's breathing as babies are adapting to life outside the womb.
1: And the way that I describe this to most to the moms who I work with is thinking about how they would recline on a couch with their feet up on a coffee table in front of them. And so they're they're relaxed, they're somewhat reclined, but they're able to support their baby um, on their on their torso. So the baby doesn't feel like he or she's going to fall off of the mom's chest, essentially. would Do you think that, that I'm trying to create a visual for, uh, for our listeners, obviously, since, I, I mean, they could go to your website and see, you have many, many photos on the Biological Nurturing website to see this image, but do you think that's a, a good way to describe it?
7: I do, and I think another good way to describe it would be To suggest that it's any kind of a a position you would use when you're watching television. Exactly, exactly. What you don't want to uh, suggest is that mothers uh, lie flat on their backs. And that's what I'm trying to come away from. Because when you think about it, when a mother lies flat on her back, when she puts her baby on top of her body, then the baby is lying flat and prone. And this, unfortunately, is the way that many mothers are uh, portrayed in skin-to-skin contact. Now, when you think about it, uh, a baby lying flat and prone, that's not a good position to initiate respiration. And a mother will have great difficulty raising her head to see what her baby's doing. And it's important that mothers... Uh, are able to look at their babies comfortably when they're when they're breastfeeding,
1: which would be very challenging if they're laying flat on their back. That's a lot of stress on the neck that we're looking at. So that's exactly right, and so
7: that's why uh, I I define um, a difference between biological nurturing and skin to skin contact. You know, it's the it's the interaction and the way that all those six ingredients interrelate that helps to release. Uh, the the behaviors and everything that helps mothers and babies get started with breastfeeding. So it's not just being laid back or just being in skin-to-skin contact. In fact, if the mother isn't comfortable in skin-to-skin contact, if there are people in the room that she doesn't like or if she's cold or feeling uncomfortable for any reason being naked, then skin-to-skin contact is likely not going to be helping or get started with breastfeeding.
1: That's a great point. Um, Suzanne, I know you mentioned that babies, um, in the articles that I've read at least, that babies have 20 primitive neonatal reflexes. And so, and this would obviously be a component that we're feeding into with biological nurturing. And so can you explain why these are so important? Um, Prior to my research, I think it was documented in the mainstream literature everywhere that babies
7: have three reflexes stimulating breastfeeding. And everybody knows about these rooting and sucking and, and swallowing. I mean, even if you ask somebody on the street, they'd probably be able to name them. And in my research, we observed 20 reflexes, therefore reconfiguring some 17 of them in the feeding context, and that was both breast and bottle feeding. Now, the reflexes themselves range from head writing and lifting to hand to mouth to finger flexion and extension to arm and leg cycling and crawling and, and uh uh, finger grasping and grasping with the toes and the Babinski toe fan, and all of these appear to have a feeding function. Uh, but for first and foremost, that function would be helping the baby become an active agent in feeding, and that means that mothers don't have to be routinely shown how to latch their babies on because when the babies are active agents, they often do that themselves and. When they don't, then mothers participate in health, so mothers are also active agents.
1: So if, they, if, if babies have these primitive reflexes and they're activated when they're in these very comfortable positions for both mom and baby, why have we been taught to sit upright and use holds like football and cross-cradle when this goes completely against all these things that you're describing, do you think? <laughs> what, what's your philosophy on that? Opinion.
7: Well, it's a hard question to answer, and there are probably lots of reasons. Uh, but first of all, the people who have uh, taught upright positions probably never thought about the role that gravity might play in infant feeding, uh, so that they didn't realize that these positions could actually make the reflexes act as breastfeeding barriers. I actually think my study is the first to examine the role gravity plays in infant feeding. So that's one plausible reason. Now, of course, children and adults also sit upright to eat, and it was probably just natural to suggest that upright breastfeeding was the correct way. But when you think about it, that's just extrapolating our own eating postures to the newborn, and we need to be careful not to personify the baby like that. Human babies are very different from children and adults. For example, for at least the first nine months, the human baby is a quadruped. And that would suggest that maybe uh, feeding on the baby's tummy, like some of our mammalian cousins do, uh, would be more species-specific than uh, than being held uh, with close pressure applied on the baby's back and head and neck, as is necessary when mothers sit upright. Now, I have one third explanation for this, and that is that uh, it became very important to teach correct positioning and attachment probably in the 1980s. And that is probably associated with the need for consistency of advice. And health professionals were looking for a way to show mothers how to breastfeed uh, within a, a standardized intervention. And unfortunately, they did this by standard standardizing the mother's uh, and babies' positions. But I would suggest that as in any reproductive event, you can't really standardize a position. And that's why I always tell mothers there are about 80 biological nurturing mother positions and 360 baby positions because the breast is round. Now, what what we need to be saying perhaps is that mothers and babies discover through the hit and miss of the experience the positions that work, and they discover this by doing it. Uh, And so that's why I don't really teach correct positioning and attachment.
1: That's fantastic. Um, I'd love to open this conversation up to our panelists. Um, Ladies, were you taught different breastfeeding positions such as football hold and cradle hold um, in your breastfeeding classes or by midwives or hospital staff and did you find that these positions were difficult or were there things that um, Suzanne is describing? actually occurring anyway, even while you were doing these more prescribed uh, positions. What do you think, Noreen?
3: Um, When I was um, in the um, hospital, one of the nurses who was amazing um, noticed that Rex wasn't feeding on one of my breasts. And so she suggested that, um, oh, it appears as if he prefers one side, like laying on his right side. So she suggested um, whatever, the football or cross cradle to make sure that mama's boobs were even Mm -hmm. and what was nice was that she was she was an experienced mother and breastfeeder where she listened and noticed that whereas me and new mom would have never noticed that and probably would have walked around with lopsided boobs and made it more complicated and so what was really nice is at the get-go without telling me pay attention and listen she taught me to pay attention and listen and I was taught that like breastfeeding can be a challenging thing so you know listen as much as possible and i did that and so without being biologically nurturing i was like okay let's pay attention because there's two people involved here um and i noticed like how i dealt with that with breastfeeding is made it a lot easier for me whereas other people who had challenges with breastfeeding they were like well i did this this and this and this and this and this and i was like well you know, what's going on with the baby and, you know, what does the baby like or do? Um, because they're like, well, I, I really want to try this hold. And I'm like, but your child doesn't like that hold. And so learning, um, being taught to listen right away was really, really helpful because then I believe he, my son had less issues with breastfeeding because I'm just kind of doing my best to pay attention rather than, okay, now we're going to do it this way and whatever.
1: Absolutely. How about you, Christine? Um, well, both.
4: Well, all my births were with midwives. And then at home, I f- because so I wasn't seen by a lactation consultant. Um, I had known a lot of this beforehand because I was a le- lactation educator before I had my first. But um, I found that actually being left on my own was kind of a good thing because I wasn't asking for advice or help, but I just did what felt comfortable. And I found that that worked best sometimes when there's little to no intervention and... I was in my bed and my husband's behind me and I was in that laid back, really comfortable position and we just stayed like that. And it's really nice just to have that. Very good.
1: All right. How about you, Laura? Uh,
4: Well, when I think back to when
6: Theo actually was born, I actually kind of was in that laid back position Uh on my living room floor. (laughs) And that is how we attempted to first latch him. Um, he, in particular, was resistant to latching at all, and he was um, screaming, so for you know a good 10 fifteen minutes um, while we were trying to establish that relationship, that was the position we actually were trying to establish it with after that, um things evolved into more cradle, try football and cross cradle
1: yeah, but in the beginning in the very beginning, it actually
6: was that just by virtue of of the position how you were yeah went.
1: <laughs> how, how everything went down yeah mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Suzanne, what, what do you think about the comments that the, the panelists said? Do they surprise you at all?
7: Uh, well, no, I think that they show a, a lovely range of, of experience and and a lot of it through the hit and miss of it. I, I you know, I kind of liked what, um, is it Noreen, is that, yes. did I understand? You yes, yes. Said, you know, about paying attention and, and listening, I mean, I guess that I would want to be paying attention and listening to the baby, because I think that the baby kind of is the instruction book.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and
7: and I, I kind of took it as, as that being the lesson that she had learned from, from the nurse that was that was uh, helping her. And I think that that's, that's really important in focusing on the baby and, and, and taking his individual cues and, and his messages. Um, I heard from... Uh, Laura, I think at the end, that you said that it was maybe the baby was uh, crying when you were trying to uh, latch the baby on? When he was born.
6: Yeah, when he was born, he came out screaming actually more Mm -hmm. so, and he continued to scream for about the first hour or so after he was born, or a couple hours. Right.
7: I, I think that can be difficult when babies are screaming, so I like to get them to go to sleep and not really. Uh, um, pay that much attention to get them latched if they're screaming, but just to calm them down, get them to go to sleep, because babies will latch on in their sleep beautifully well in biological nurturing positions. And uh, and if they're, you know, really too sleepy to latch, then you can kind of help them do that. But, um, you know, so position isn't the be-all and end-all, and that's what I'm trying to say is that people, that the- Depending on the situation, that it's probably a good idea to try to uh, examine all the, the in, those active ingredients of biological nurturing and behavior. The baby's behavioral state is is really really important. And then, of course, what um, this uh, Christine is that it is that your name, Christine? Uh, what you said was just kind of doing what feels. Comfortable and natural. That just sounds wonderful to
1: me. (laughs) (laughs) I think to all of us. (laughs) All right, wonderful. Well, when we come back, Suzanne will discuss how the infant's and mother's emotional states can affect latching success. So we'll be right
0: back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah Baby. Introducing a new collection Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments.
1: all right well we're back uh, with Suzanne Colson um, she is a midwife nurse and co-founder of the nurturing project an organization disseminating biological nurturing information and she's calling in from Paris France and we are talking about biological nurturing so Suzanne um, many of us have seen a baby who seems to be refusing the breast or fighting the breast and like he or she can't get comfortable um, how can biological nurturing help this this baby
7: well oftentimes babies are refusing and fighting the breast when mothers are sitting upright so um, if the mother is sitting upright then I guess you have to uh, kind of look at her and see if she's holding her baby applying pressure along the baby's back or uh, sometimes that pressure extends into a strong grip under the baby's neck or even holding the baby's head because if she's doing that it's likely Uh, that uh, the baby's fighting that because that can be uncomfortable for babies and also that the position that she's in uh, is not allowing the reflexes to go with gravity. So it's always important to make a positional assessment and oftentimes just changing uh, the degree of the maternal body slope will help. Now, why does that happen? And that's important for... Any, uh, any of us helping mothers to know. When you're sitting straight upright, um, if you kind of do that like, right now as we're talking, and then you look down, you'll see that, that you don't have a lot of body space between the breastbone or the sternal notch and the pubic bone. Because upright sitting, especially if you're sitting bolt upright, that closes your, your midriff down. And as soon as you start to lie back, you open uh, your body and giving the baby much more space. Now, when you're sitting upright, the baby generally lies across the body at right angles to the mother's body and across the mother's body. And as soon as um, mothers start leaning backwards, then babies can start moving into a more oblique lie or a longitudinal lie. And this is not a vertical lie, the longitudinality of it, is up and down, but verticality is always with the base. And so these are the kinds of things that you can be looking for when a baby is refusing the breast. And another very, very important thing uh, to be looking for is that the baby goes to sleep. Now, the baby baby will go to sleep because they go in and out of sleep and awake states so rapidly, much, much more quickly than children or adults do. If all of a sudden I fell asleep, even though it's past 10 a.m. 10 p.m. here in, in Paris, you would be surprised. But if you were talking with the baby, you wouldn't be at all surprised if the baby fell asleep. And so what you want to do is hold the baby in sleep states, and then the baby will start cueing, or I like to call these cues invitations to breastfeeding. <laughs> they exist in the sleep states. And then it's very, very easy because the sleep state dampened down the reflex uh, response or the strength of the reflex response. Then it's easy to help the baby latch if there's latching problems or to adjust the baby's latch if there's sore nipples or if it's a sleepy baby and you can't get the baby uh, to latch to actually just put your, your breath in the baby's mouth. So... Uh, generally speaking, and again, it won't always be like that, but generally speaking, uh, when mothers are experiencing latching difficulties time and again, it's usually because their uh, the degree of their body slope is not going with gravity.
1: Okay. And um, I know that, you know, I see this all this time in my practice, and I know Christine does as well, that you have the baby who's frantically shaking his head. Moms, you probably have had this happen too. The breast is in the baby's mouth, nipple and everything ready to go, and the baby's just sitting there going back and forth, left to right, like he's desperately trying to latch, and, but doesn't know what to do with the breast in his mouth. Um, how can biological nurturing help this baby?
7: Well, it, again, it's the same thing. It's just uh, ass- assessing the mother's position and, um, and trying to get the baby to, to go to sleep. You know, you can, you can let the baby tuck on your little finger, and that usually puts the baby's right to sleep. Um, and then uh, even if the nipple is in the baby's mouth, the mothers can still lie back a little bit. Now, what I don't do is I don't say to mothers, you know, I think that you should try lying back. Um, I don't make suggestions like that. Rather, I try to make mothers more comfortable, and in doing so, they start lying back. So I don't really tell, what, tell mothers what to do. And I find that when I do, it usually doesn't work as well as just maybe saying to them, let's see if we can get you all comfy, and then I start placing pillows or anything that I can find under the various parts of their bodies that are not supported. And all of a sudden, I look for that moment when their bodies start relaxing. And that's usually then the time that the baby starts moving, using the reflexes into a more oblique or longitudinal position. And uh, babies, you know, they they sleep, and it's it's just very easy to get them to latch. I just did this with a a mother who had sore nipples, so she wasn't having latching problems, but the she was having uh, experiencing sore nipples, and um, uh, the baby just kind of latched on in in his sleep, and the mother could guide all that. And the same thing with latching problems, the mother can let the baby suck on her finger the baby will go to sleep, generally speaking, and then she can stick her
1: breast in. Okay. Uh, panelists, um, ladies in, the, in, in our panel right now, um, can you recall a time when it was difficult to latch your baby on the breast, and what was your baby doing, and how did you respond, you know, kind of relying on your own instincts? Christine, can you think of anything in particular? I think
4: because I have two kids running around the house, it can get a little bit hairy, <laughs> and uh, the baby definitely <laughs> responds to... The increased level of noise, and so what I do is I, I remove myself. and we sit in a quiet room together, and we have a very soft chair, and we kind of sink <laughs> completely into it, and that's that usually works really well. And it, I can tell that when she falls into s- that s- really light sleep phase, that she's really she's ready to suck. But um, also, I've tried just keep on doing what I'm doing, and I walk around the house, and she'll latch on as I'm doing something with my other hand, and, <laughs> and it's amazing what you can do with one heart.
1: <laughs> How about you, Noreen?
3: Um, more recently, as he got, he's gotten older, um, when he just gets distracted, and and so I will just keep on doing something else, and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, he's obviously at the point where he's walking around, and I'm just getting dressed, and he's now... A standing mammal on two feet and you know he's <laughs> breastfeeding as is and I'm like okay I guess that's position we're feeding for now <laughs> so I think um it's one of those things I get comfortable and if it doesn't work like okay that's okay maybe just because a lot of times it's because I want him to not bes- necessarily that he needs to so um not pushing it because a lot of times people are like oh shouldn't you breastfeed before we leave or whatever I'm like Mm, Yeah, it's not his time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really respecting his needs, which is fantastic. Um, How about you,
6: Laura? Um, Yeah, basically the same things that they're saying in terms of just changing things up. Get up and walk around or sometimes switching sides um, in a particular moment or stopping altogether. It's not happening.
1: Okay, um, Suzanne, how do you think the mother's hormonal state and behaviors play into biological nurturing? And what can, Obviously, breastfeeding can be very stressful for some moms, and so what do you recommend to reduce her stress so that way she's in a place where she can latch her baby on as comfortably as possible?
7: Right. Well, I think I'll start with your uh, second question first uh, because I think it's important to address this idea that you have to be relaxed situation without any stress to be successful at breastfeeding, I think we've got that the wrong way around. Mothers have breastfed through war and famine and all kinds of miserable life experiences. Uh, I think that the research is very clear that relaxation is the result of breastfeeding. You know, you don't have to have a low blood pressure to breastfeed, but if you breastfeed, it's likely that your blood pressure is lower. Um, Mothers say that it feels so good to give their milk to their babies. And I think that that's what we want to be focusing on and not, you know, we live in a world of of stress and I think that it's almost impossible, uh, you know, to be completely stress-free and I would question whether that would even be the aim. So how can the mother's hormonal state then and behaviors play into uh, biological nurturing? Well, this is where the body support is really important. And I, I loved it when Christine said that she kind of, you know, went and, um, to a place where it was quiet. And when you're getting started with breastfeeding, I think that's always a great idea. Later, as Doreen suggested, you know, uh, babies are very versatile, but reflexes get conditioned. Everything seems to work when the baby gets older. But as you're finding your way, it's nice to be able to kind of relax in a soft chair and sink down. And as soon as you do that and your whole body is comfortable, uh, you're more likely to be relaxed, but you might not be, but you're more likely to be relaxed. And all of a sudden, uh, when you're kind of all comfy there, mothers seem to look at their babies differently. And it's almost as if the biological nurturing positions seem to regulate the distance between mom and her baby to maximize baby gazing. And then, boy, is it ever just like magic. Mothers just melt because the baby and its behaviors are so cute. So they're no longer focused upon problems as much as how adorable the baby is. And I believe that that's part of what helps mothers and babies get started with breastfeeding. So I always aim in my support to help mothers get into that spot where they start focusing the, on the baby and noticing how absolutely adorable the baby is. And, of course, I call that a kind of an oxytocin hormonal complexion because you can see that she's focusing on the baby. It's written all over her face.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for your insight into biological nurturing. And um, I do want to mention, too, you have a whole set of webinars starting in January. Um, and is, is it through ILCA or USLCA, Suzanne? USLCA, okay, yeah, so the United the, States Lactation Consultant Association. Absolutely. So for lactation consultants who are listening to this and want to get some extra credits towards our professional development, um, it's a great resource for us to learn more about this whole process. So, um, And for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after at the end of the show as Suzanne will answer another question on this topic. For more information, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Before we end our show, here's one of our experts answering a question from one of our listeners.
2: Hi, my name is Casey, and I am from San Diego. And I have a question for our boob group expert. I nurse my toddler. He is 22 months, and we kind of, over the last six months or so, have developed a routine. He doesn't nurse in public anymore. Um, He nurses in the morning in bed with me, and then um, I nurse him before he takes a nap if he takes a nap that day, and I nurse him tonight. So maybe two times, three times a day, and I'm fine with that, and I'm happy with that because I still want him to be breastfed, but at the same time, I am not one of those mothers who lets him have it anytime he asks for it. Um, So now my question is, We're getting to be a little bit older, and lately, I don't know if it's because I'm gone and I was traveling or what, but um, he's been asking for it in the middle of the day. He'll come be playing with his trains, and then he'll come on over, and he'll, he'll ask for it. And I don't know how to do it because I don't want him to have it then, um, it's kind of, you know, our thing in our bedroom, but at the same time, I feel like he wants it, and I do believe in breastfeeding my toddler, so I just don't know where the line is drawn of, am I being a mean mommy by saying, no, he can't be nursed in the day, and he has to be a nurse at night, um, how, how do I go about that? Hi, Casey, this is Rose Davina Jackowitz, I'm a lactation consultant
5: at uh, Kaiser Permanente, and you had a question about nursing your toddler you kind of said a key word that you've kind of been gone and traveling. So I have a feeling that he's kind of missed you when you were gone, and so he's just kind of doing more frequent checking in because you're back. And so it's very common for a toddler to maybe pick up nursing a few times when you've been gone traveling or at work. Uh, It's just a normal toddler thing that I'm checking in with mom. Chances are you're going to get back to your routine that you were doing before
1: so hopefully that's helpful. Thanks so much. Thank you so much to our experts, panelists, and to all of our listeners. If you have any questions about today's show or the topic we discussed, please call our boob group hotline at 619-866-4775, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming episode. If you have a breastfeeding topic you'd like to suggest, we would love to hear it. Simply visit our website at theboobgroup.com and send us an email through the contact link. Coming up next week, we have Amber McCann talking about supplement options for moms with a low milk supply. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group because mothers know breast. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider.
0: Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.